Good morning, Church. The Lord be with you. During this pandemic, there are many things we can be thankful to God for. We are now told that Australia's coronavirus death toll is low because our government made some tough decisions in early February to ban foreign travellers. At that time, the decision was controversial. But now, from hindsight, it was the right thing to do. So let's thank God for what the government has been doing so successfully, flattening the curve. And let's keep praying that God will give our government the wisdom to know when to lift the restrictions. Now, last Sunday, we learned that Christians could be exploited by the uh, ungodly rich. Christians may be workers who are not paid their wages, or they may be innocent people whose lives are destroyed because the corrupt rich have cheated them of their possessions through lawsuits. Now, James tells us that when we Christians are oppressed, either because of our faith or because we are vulnerable, we can take comfort that God knows, and God will vindicate us. He will repay the ungodly on the day of judgment. But the day of judgment seems so far away. In the meantime, is there anything we can do about this injustice, especially if the oppression is ongoing? Can we seek some kind of justice from the authorities? Now, in the ancient world, there was little oppressed Christians could do to seek justice. Today, the situation remains the same in many countries where Christians are a persecuted minority. In the West, we are thankful that we have the government to protect our rights, and we can seek legal redress for injustice done to us. But imagine a time when the world becomes so hostile to Christians that we are left vulnerable. How then should we respond to unjust sufferings? Now, James has the answer for us. He gives us practical advice on how we Christians ought to respond when we suffer because of our faith. Whether we have been taken advantage of or cheated or unfairly treated or discriminated, now whatever form of injustice we may experience, there is a Christian way to respond. So please turn with me to James chapter 5, uh, verse 7 to 12. James chapter 5, verse uh, 7 to 12. Let me read. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, 
not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Now it is clear from this passage that James does not call Christians to overthrow the rich and powerful who are oppressing them. We are not to resort to any violence in order to achieve justice. Instead, James calls on all Christians facing unjust suffering to do three things. First, he tells us to be patient. Be patient for Jesus' second coming. So verse 7 reads, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Now this is going to be hard. We in the West are not used to waiting. We want injustice to be resolved as soon as possible. And if there is any delay in restitution, we wonder if God cares about our suffering. And if God cares, why isn't He doing anything to intervene? So we may be tempted to take matters in our own hand, but that would be a mistake because God's solution is always better than ours. And God's solution to the problem of unjust sufferings is tied up with the second coming of Jesus. You see, when Jesus comes again, He will not only establish the new heavens and the new earth, but He will also come as the judge of the world. And as judge of the world, Jesus will right every wrong. He will punish all evildoers who pervert justice. So Christians suffering unfairly at this present time are to wait, to wait patiently for Jesus to return and judge the world with righteousness. And to encourage us to be patient, James asks us to learn from the farmer. He says in verses 7 and 8, See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now in Israel, there is the spring rain, when the farmer sows his crops, and then he waits for the autumn rain to produce a good harvest. Now the farmer cannot do anything to hurry the harvest. He knows the autumn rain must come first, and so he waits patiently and confidently. Now the farmer can be confident of the rain, not because of Mother Nature, but because of God's faithfulness. You see, in the Old Testament, the arrival of rain on the land is a metaphor for God's faithfulness. And so, as we wait patiently for Jesus' return, we can trust God, we can trust that God is faithful. He will not delay His judgment. And James says, Jesus' coming is near. Near gives us the impression that Jesus is coming soon. But it has now been 2,000 years since James wrote the letter, and Jesus hasn't returned. What is happening, you may ask? Did James get it wrong? That is what some scholars think. These scholars say that James and the apostles 
were mistaken in expecting Jesus to return during their lifetime. But this is to misunderstand the word near. Now the word near in Greek does not have to mean anytime soon. It can also mean the next thing that will happen. So James is saying that in God's scheme of salvation, the next event to take place is the second coming of Jesus. And when will this take place? Well, it could be tomorrow, or it could be another thousand years. Now, Scripture tells us not to speculate, because with God, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So let us wait patiently and be confident that God is not slow in keeping His promise to send Jesus. We can be sure that at the right moment in history, Jesus will return to judge the whole world. And James wants us to do the second thing as we patiently wait. He says we must stand firm. Verse 8 reads, You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now to stand firm is to persevere in the faith despite our sufferings. But how do we persevere in the faith? James gives us the examples of the Old Testament prophets. In verse 10 he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now the Old Testament prophets, like uh, Jeremiah, uh, they faced opposition and persecution from the kings and the palace officials of their day. Yet they persevered in their faith. How? By continuing to speak in the name of the Lord. You see, despite suffering for their faith, the prophets continued to preach the message of God's word. Now, in the same way, the apostles in the New Testament, when prohibited by the authorities, they did not stop talking about the resurrected Jesus, but they continued to preach the gospel, risking their lives for Jesus' sake. So today, we find the persecuted Christians in the Middle East and in East Asia doing the same thing. When the government clamps down on their churches, making all religious activities illegal, the Christians choose to disobey the state rather than disobey God. And so when they are arrested, they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the police. And when they are put in prison, they prayed with the inmates. And so should our turn come, um, we too must not keep silent. We must stand firm in the faith. We must persevere. We must continue to preach the gospel. And James says that when we persevere in the face of suffering, we will be blessed. Verse 11 reads, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Now this blessing is spiritual. Earlier in his letter, James has said that when Christians stand the test of trials, they will be blessed with eternal life. 
Likewise, Jesus says that when we are willing to suffer for his sake, we will be spiritually, we will be spiritually blessed in two ways. One, we will build up our character to be more like Jesus. Two, we will learn to put away all worldly idols and lay up our treasures in heaven. And then we can better understand the way God works in our lives and we will be drawn into deeper trust in God. That's the spiritual blessing we get. So as we persevere, we will be spiritually blessed. We will, be, we will become more mature Christians. But this spiritual blessing can have a material component to it. James gives us the example of Job. In verse 11, he says, You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now we know the story of Job, don't we? He lost everything, his possessions, his family, his health, and even his friends. Yet through it all, Job persevered. His faith at times wavered or weakened, but he never cursed God. He remained true to God. And in the end, God restored Job's prosperity and gave him a new family. Now, in case we think uh, Job earned his material blessing through his perseverance, uh, James tells us that it is on account of God's compassion and mercy that Job got what he finally got. Now, Job did not deserve the material blessings, but God in his grace richly compensated him. Now, in the same way, when we go through trials, God will first give us spiritual blessings to help us draw close to him and to help us develop a greater dependency on him. Now, in addition to the spiritual blessings, uh, God may bless us with other things. For some of us, uh, he, we, for some of us, we may receive additional blessings in the form of material wealth, like Job did. For others, it may be the restoration of our physical health or mental health. Or we, there may be a restoration of relationships. So God alone knows or God alone decides uh, what additional blessings we receive because He knows us. He is our Creator. He knows what is best for us. Now, we don't deserve these additional blessings and we cannot earn them. But God, in His compassion and mercy, knows what we need when we are going through suffering for Jesus' sake. And in His grace, He will give us that which will turn our hearts and our eyes toward Him. Now, brothers and sisters, if you are going through some trials this pandemic, do not resent them. Ask God to show you how your present sufferings and the difficulties you are experiencing be for you a means of spiritual growth and spiritual blessings. And you will be surprised 
that in His grace, God will bless you more than you ask or imagine. Now bring, this brings us to the third thing James wants us to do when we face unjust suffering. James wants us to remain content. Now, why do we need to be content? Well, it is because God blesses people differently. Not because God is unfair, but because He knows what each of us need. Now, when we see God blessing others differently, we tend to compare. And unless we are content with what, uh, what God has blessed us with, we are going to be envious of what God has given to others. And our envious hearts will cause us to do one of two things. One, we will grumble. If we are not content, if you're not contented, uh, we, we, we will grumble. We will grumble that life is not fair, implying that God is unfair. And we will take out our frustration on others. And we will wallow in self-pity. Now, if we find ourselves in this situation, James has a warning for us. Verse 9 reads, Don't grumble, grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now James warns us that Jesus will not be pleased with us, and he will judge us if we grumble. He will judge us not in the same way Jesus will judge those who reject him, uh, but in a way as to discipline us, to rebuke us, and to chastise us. And to be chastised by Jesus won't be pleasant. So let us not grumble. Now the second way we show our envy and discontentment is by falsely boasting about God's blessings. We exaggerate the blessings we receive from God in order to hide, hide our discontentment. Now, in ancient time, to prove our boasting true, uh, we would take an oath to invoke God as witness that we are speaking the truth. But this is using God's name to deceive, and it is dangerous. So James has this warning for such people in verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. You see, what James wants from Christians is that we be truthful about everything we say, including the blessings we receive from God. Now, if there is no integrity in our speech, James says we will be condemned. This does not mean we will lose our salvation, but we will lose our credibility. We will not please God. And like grumbling, we may be chastised and suffer negative consequences. So as we go through difficulties in our Christian lives, James pleads with us. He says, do not grumble. About, your, about our spiritual blessings, and neither should we exaggerate about them. 
Instead, let us be content. God will give us grace sufficient to face whatever hardships and sufferings we are going through. He will never abandon us. Let us also stand firm on the promises of the gospel. The gospel is God's power that brings salvation for everyone who believes in Jesus. So we must keep living out the gospel and we must keep preaching the gospel to others. And finally, let us wait patiently for Jesus to come again. When Jesus returns, he will bring God's judgment with him. Jesus will right all wrong and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Our cry in this world of injustice is therefore, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of compassion and mercy. Please look favorably on the poor in the countries that are badly affected by the pandemic. May your church rise up to support the sick and vulnerable in practical and sacrificial ways. We pray that there is an outpouring of compassionate service to the poor and needy in the name of your Son. For Christians facing difficulties, hardships and oppression at this time, may we turn our eyes on you. Please help us to be patient in our perseverance and joyful in the hope of the new creation. May we continue to proclaim the gospel of salvation to our family and friends. May we long for the day when Jesus returns to establish your kingdom of justice and righteousness. In his name we pray. Amen.